The propaganda's wind Stress feeding on my tension My countrymen, they love their fiction Words are now This pay with good intentions Welcome to 1200, the independent media and politics podcast We cut through the grime So you get the news on time <laughs> I'm joined by my co-hosts, Philip Nanestad and Olivier Jutel. Uh, How are we doing, boys? Well, in the good, good, good. It'll do. Kicking it off today with the news that Daniel Ellsberg um, has passed away. One of probably the greatest examples, exemplars of uh, integrity, um, uh, and yeah, just it's really difficult to to talk about just how much importance and impact he's had on, uh, I guess, press freedom and and journalistic responsibility um, since the release of the Pentagon Papers uh, back in the nineteen seventies. Uh, so Vale uh, Daniel Ellsberg, um, yeah, we've lost a good one. Uh, but he had an incredibly uh, great run at it, I think. In New Zealand news, um, today we're going to be covering uh, a a few things, um, looking at a, a bunch of media framing again. And until a few more parties release policy, uh, that's where we're going to be sitting, I think, uh, as this campaign season gets up to gear it's gonna be pretty rotten out there folks it's already looking like uh the zone is being flooded with shit plenty of sock puppets and bot networks out there on social media just dropping hundreds of comments um into the space uh and i don't think we could genuinely say they're managing to affect mainstream discourse uh from the top at this point but there's really going to need to be some shifts in the way that a lot of this information is being presented um across media platforms if we're going to not just exhaust everyone because that that's the, the point of this stuff right is to switch people off it's to get people to disengage it's almost as if we need really strong public public broadcasting with like web and platform presence. And we need to properly resource that. And we need to think about how not simply competing in Twitter, Facebook, algo space, but like what would a national platform public broadcaster look like? It would almost seem as though uh, a really strong championing of the public media ethic is is exactly what we need because um, you know as you say, Kyle, uh, one of the things I struggle with in ter- terms of keeping on top of uh, New Zealand media discourse is yeah, like our own like News Hub, no engagement, right? Everything is just it's it, it you can't tell the difference between like our media and then like you know new uh, new NFT apes or whatever. Like so we're. We are algorithmically uh, suppressed or not relevant on this grand sea of the internet. So it makes the whatever the discourse space incredibly uh, difficult to navigate. So I, you know, tongue in cheek. I mean, I'm really my interest in this this whole question of the degradation of the public sphere of corporate media and its you know disinfo effects and all that kind of stuff leads me back to you know, where Jeremy Corbyn was on this in 2019, which is to talk about, let's think about the BBC more broadly, right? Let's think about how we use web in this way. And of course, um, the tongue in cheek part is, is that public broadcasting is under massive attack right now. We've never had a really strong ethic in this way, but um, yeah, there we go. Well, this was part of the plan of the merger, right? Um, which has now been sidelined. Um, was to to create uh, more of a, a wide platform on this stuff. Um, yeah, I wonder who benefits from attacking and sinking that. I've been telling everyone online, and uh, I'll, I'll repeat it here. Um, if you are engaging in political discourse on social media, um, if you if you uh, consider yourself an activist, just hide for replies and, and block all these sock puppets and bots. I 
I've had a non-block policy for 12 years on Twitter. Um, and in the last month, I, that's not tenable anymore. The change in the scale um, and veracity of what these clearly fake accounts are doing is you do, it, it's too much workload. It's too much admin. Um, and for other people who might feel like the emotional burden of that as well, of being constantly attacked, um, which doesn't really factor for me, um, that's that much more. Carl doesn't have emotions. That's one of his one of his benefits. I'm I'm totally uh, desensitized by, from playing video games. <laughs> I'm not. Even, it's not even a joke. It's, it's, not, it's, it's funny not because funny. it's true. Um, um, yeah, hundred no, percent. Right. I think yeah, flooding the zone with shit is exactly right. And like in terms of um, veracity or otherwise, I don't think it matters if there's a a sixty year old uh, reactionary <laughs> on her Twitter account. Uh, attacking you and she has two followers or if it's oh no i said i was saying voracity not veracity oh okay i heard veracity yeah they're they're just they're they're hungry to like to be toxic they're hungry to attack um it's getting really unhinged um you've got the full gamut but yeah as you say as well it doesn't matter like what kind of person is if they're indistinguishable from uh a bot like just just block them I, i don't care anymore um it's the purpose of the strategy is to uh shout everything else out um i've been saying as well that basically every media organization in new zealand as we come into the campaign needs to turn off comments on social media they just add, like and, and let alone on their websites which some already have to do have turned off you you are not going to be able to maintain it you're you're going to break every single person who you have employed to run your community management and the same goes for uh political parties you don't need you don't need to have that switched on for people who don't follow you. Mm. Um, I mean, they're not they're not designed for genuine engagement, right? That's part of what Olivia is saying. Is that like commenting as a as a metric and as a medium on these platforms is only there to increase engagement and not in a generative way that actually contributes to public debate or like you know civics involvement or any kind of public good. It's there to like game the the metrics, right? One of the funny things, so. My critique of the disinformation industry, I've probably ranted and raved about it here many times, but again, why I think it's so uh, important to to really prioritize the sort of what would a public ethic broadly defined in media space for the self-publishing era look like? I feel like that's the critical work because basically what we've had in the sort of engagement machines are then the science of forms of toxic and pathological engagement, which may tell you something about some of those metrics and and some of that, the the psychology of that. But then these are people that live off of the ability of these platforms to produce data, to produce knowledge. So they are welded to the notion that these platforms can and should exist. And then people like Bellingcat get shadow banned by Elon Musk. And that's a massive fucking own goal. And we've seen this a million times. We used to talk about data journalism. Just use fusion tables. Google will provide these these bounties of tools forever in perpetuity. It's like, no, these are fucking corporations. These are like the, the, the problem. And if you don't attack that critical foundational element of this, you are just reifying their, again, these wholly contingent articulations of venture capital that as soon as uh, interest rates go up are doing God knows what, right? Bursting upon re-entry into orbit. So that's where, again, I mean, we may go into it with some of the uh, the McHall stuff, but that's where this discourse is so, again, people of good faith in that area, I, I, I find this incredibly short-sighted and disregarding, you know, decades of sort of like political economy of understanding where problems of corporate media and concentration impinge upon how we engage with politics, right? How everyone's online in in pursuit of something uh, that's not any way civic minded or whatever else. But yeah, that's my rant over. Sorry. So that's where we are. Um, And we're still, you know, a a long way out from election day. Um, (laughs) So stay safe, everyone, um, and block liberally. And if you're a political candidate, turn off your replies on social media to anyone that doesn't follow you and you follow them back.
did, did I hallucinate that that Brooke Van Hitler or whatever her name is from the ACT Party went on TVNZ and said that that decolonization play was like March 15th? I didn't see that. Was that a deep fake? If you can find if that. You can find, if you can find <laughs> a link to that, that. Then, I, then I'll leave that in. Help me out. That's good. Me out. No, we can find it. No, no, it's fine. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. If you can find a link to that, we won't right. edit that out. All right. <laughs> But yeah, the, the rhetoric's getting really crazy. Um, and, you know, as, as much as I like what people are interacting with online on social media is a problem, um, that's also been an, an incredible problem uh, from the very top, from the political platforms that uh, some of these people hold uh, and the media that's been very willing to just publish them verbatim. Um so yeah, you've seen some outrageous stuff um, just this last week, uh, but let's kick into the topics we'll be covering. Um, as I said, they're going to be around this media framing stuff to a large degree, uh, but I did want to start with what's been happening with this Radio New Zealand story. For those who don't have uh, background there, who haven't been watching it, um, I'm not sure how much it's in the public discourse at the moment. It's pretty confined to kind of media poll, uh, I think, at the moment. And thankfully so, because it's just ranged across the full uh, scale of uh, response at this point. It started out uh, about a week or so ago uh, with the journalist involved or or reporter or whatever, um, the employee of uh, Radio New Zealand, being accused of pro-Kremlin disinformation um, and people throwing around words like treasonous for making changes to uh, Reuters wires uh, when editing stories uh, for publication on the Radio New Zealand website. Initially, uh, the focus was on stories about uh, the war in Ukraine um, and the suggestion was that this was pro-Russian uh, edits. That's been scaled back from quite that level uh, of uh, overreach. Um, a lot of the focus now has been on the changes to newswires without uh, attribution. That that tends to be, and, and you know that that may be a problem. Um, I'm, it's still unclear what the editorial policy was around that. Uh, and given a lot of the other RNZ stories that do this, I'm reasonably confident that the editorial policy has been: we're publishing this on RNZ. This is clearly uh, an RNZ story, uh, and some changes are okay, or at least our process is such that even if we are saying these aren't okay changes, we allow them to happen and have for years. Uh, and the journalist is on record, I think himself in a number of stories saying, look, I've been doing these changes for years. I, I and, and no one has ever raised it with me. Um, some of these changes are very clearly context changes. Um, so adding extra information some of them are adding extra information that is uh, at odds with the Reuters uh, newswire framing. Some of it, I think, I think there are one or two examples where it is incorrect. Is that right, Olivier? I've seen less the so the 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 edits that I've seen highlighted uh, by people who are mad about this uh, have. The majority of them have centered on the, uh, well, let's just call it the sort of Putin puppet line here that, oh, here's the context that was added to make sort of pro-Putin framing salient and, and all this kind of stuff. And some of these edits would be seen as, yes, additional context and completely defensible in terms of journalistic content. Um, some of this critique would be about, well, the the art of 
headline writing, the subtle art of lead sentence and inverted pyramid writing is such that, you know, even that this is factual, it's still doing a kind of a violence or a kind of propagandistic whatever. Um, but I've, I have not seen like, well, hold on a second. Uh, there was the dam bombing, um, but I've, I've not seen instant. I mean, you could say that that's like, what about ish, what about ism type stuff, but I've not seen, you know, false flag, this or that kind of accusation or, or any of that stuff. I mean, we still don't have full information on what actually happened there. I, I want to be very clear about that. Like, yeah. And, and this is, this is the infuriating part of this is that, as you say, this will be thousands of stories. And it will slowly bleed, um, you know, for a very long time. And RNZ, given its um, whatever, great sense and fear always, this is always the kind of, you know, potential change of government, right, um, will feel like it has to do the things necessary to um, demonstrate to the public to the discourse and to its media rivals who have always hated and love rnz scandal stories right because their business model relies on us uh you know having less and less a sort of capacity to think about public media public broadcasting so um it's kind of like a it's like a saritza greece situation of they they must pro they must prostrate themselves publicly only to kind of reinforce the notion that they're like a communist cutout or whatever the hell sort of red scare narrative that's that's being applied and i mean we've we've seen this with tvnz right this is this the long you know they they own the rights to all of alistair berry's seminal documentary work on our history that they will never play right because uh, you know, if the Nats come back into power, et cetera, et cetera. So like we, we've seen this this mentality set in within public broadcasting. And to your point, Kyle, if there could be some clarity of like, look, uh, whether it was inappropriate editing of wires, that's the policy. Boom. That would be so much simpler. Yeah. It's just you know, a, it's an they, employee issue. That's it. That's right. That would be. And I, I would even find ways if I were in some position, which I would never be to, to try to, to try to make that number yeah. one. That's the issue. We're just dealing with well, this employee issue. The fact that it ever became anything else than that is an indictment of anyone running strategy out of RNZ. Um, it was, it was, it was very red scarish. It was very McCarthyite. Um, the, the early uh, kind of clamoring around this. Uh, I, uh, at risk of being called a um, tanky uh, myself, I would, I would even say that these changes are, are pretty anodyne. Like, this is not stuff that I haven't seen uh, a lot stronger, even in other Western publications, even within the last week around this stuff. Washington Post. Um, there have been pieces in The Guardian and uh, Washington Post that have been stronger than this. But but that's but that's part of a strategy of like well we need a couple we need a couple that tell something like the kind of critical lens of the diplomatic but but the overwhelming majority will be in line with uh, what the kind of you know the editorial sort of uh, collective NATO Western Alliance brain that our media is a part of, and we don't have a broader discourse of space. I mean, frankly, the, the tenor of our coverage and the tenor of our national policy conversation and and what we're supposed to do in this scenario, like as a nation supporting another small nation, like I don't think we've sort of quite threaded that needle or really figured it out. So it's just safer to go with whatever the, the NATO flag lapel line is and i you know i am not uh if people feel strongly that way of course that's understandable of course it's understandable that the expatriate community ukrainian expatriate community is mad about this and that they feel like it's part of a war against them um but that framing is really that's that's that now we're hook line and sinker following the post 2016 that every post you see everything is part of this totalizing war we are in a civilizational war 
with this trans historical Russian communist menace like that. We, then we very quickly just sort of uh, that kind of washes over us. And that's the kind of that's the key line that I would try to try to hold here, which is that the reason why um, a digital editor would feel the need to add context that cuts against the grain of our coverage is that there is no there's no place for that. Right. It is enough to drive you sort of, um, you know, kind of insane. Right. So, yeah, I, I think like for me, the the smallness of, of these changes um, being framed as as pro Kremlin, even in the first place, even as it's scaled back, is just ludicrous to me, given that in 2020, like this is all this is all what the facts were. You know, like even across like a lot of the, the Western world, um, all of these were indisputable facts until they weren't. Um and I, I, I'm really struggling with the fact that so much of our media class have just very actively memory hold uh, the entire history of Ukraine, for one thing. I, like, and I don't expect everyone to like track it all the way back, but come on, at least since 2014, at least just just go back and read what other people have written on this, like within like the political media space. Uh, it's all right there. And it was all like not pro Kremlin to be saying the stuff, yeah. uh, you know, a, a few years ago, um, and and so adding context like saying uh, I think so one of the changes being like touted is the Ukrainian uh, government says, like as opposed to treating it as a fact uh, that. Uh, Treating what the Ukrainian government had said as a fact, uh, like that's no, that's a fair piece of context to add, especially considering the the fog of war that descended, uh, and the constant uh, and active disinformation from both sides. Like let's let's be very very clear about that, and the fact, especially that the U.S. State Department has come out and said, yeah, we're doing disinformation actively in the media space. That's right. Even Ken, Ken Delanian, you know, the guy who got fired by the L.A. Times for being a CIA cutout, has published in the NBC in NBC saying this is a really new dynamic frontier in war where the State Department is 12 dimensional chess anticipating Putin's attempt to do a false flag by uh, inserting the idea in our media that we might do the false flag of the false flag of the false flag. So come on, come the fuck on, everyone. All right. Like, yes, this is information warfare. And our side is doing it, our side. And it's not even, the crazy thing, we're not even supposed to really be in this war, right? NATO's not at war with fucking Russia. Like, you can't even say that. Like, I've had people, anyway, whatever. So weirdly, New Zealand's media attitude here is taking the broad, the royal we that we are at war with Russia for our way of life, right? And so it has assumed this kind of incredible civilizational scale um, level and again, if we assume that there are Russian words and Russian ideas and Russian facts, and if you say things like, yeah, 2014, what was the meaning of 2014? Revolution coup? I mean, look, there are lots of highly credentialed uh, mainstream people in the Paul Sci IR space that will tell you, yes, that in fact, the Maidan shooting uh, was totally their own side. I mean, yeah, look, so... Here we are. This is too much complexity. This is too much context for modern journalism in its shabby state and condition, I guess, to deal with. So let's just uh, let's just raise the blue and yellow and uh, don't flinch. And uh, hey, you might get a sit down with Zelensky. Well, about well and this is a thing. And it's not just raised the blue and yellow either. It's raised the red, white and blue um, because a lot of the stuff is, is coming out of U.S. Um, political discourse. Uh, it is we we're treating the the US view on this as the baseline. Like this is where the facts lie. And it's just not that simple. And to to frame otherwise and to claim otherwise and to treat what what are mostly pretty simple changes uh to to framing to uh 
Oh, look, add some balance um, is an an overreach of like a, an an incredibly sad degree, and it's very very clear to anyone like looking at it from a a media framing lens. Uh, it's I'm I'm disappointed and, I, and I'm saddened, um, and none none of that really matters anyway. As much as like kind of more progressive people in the media or like more left or liberal people in the media are jumping on this to show like that they're serious um, and that we're not going to let the um, kind of more aggressive uh, lefty uh, tanky people take over this narrative. Well, you're being fucking had because that's not what this is about in the first place. It's about attacking public broadcasting. Um, It's about attacking RNZ. It's about attacking journalists um and you saw that almost immediately with the act party and a whole bunch of right-wing outriders some of them pretty extreme going after rnz for changes uh context changes to stories about palestine or or like lgbtq rights of course of course like that's that's what you have to expect right like uh, yeah i i don't know i I wouldn't frame I agree with the thrust of what you're saying. I wouldn't have framed some of it the same way. Like, I do think um, we, I don't think it's a, this is me personally speaking for myself. This is, these aren't the views of, these aren't the views of 1 to 200. Um, I don't think it's wrong to say that, like, some of the framing changes have been pro-Kremlin in terms of, like, pro-messaging shift. Uh, but then you have to acknowledge that the Kremlin agrees with some of the same things you agree with. There's there's overlap there, right? Absolutely. In the same way as, you know, some Reuters copy is pro-Ukraine. So look, both sides have like recognized reality, right? Um, There's a kind of Venn diagram of of views of the world. Look, there are some things that are are real uh, and are also being (laughs) used by Putin for propaganda. I just think like that is a fact. Well done. Yeah. Good work. It is. It is pro Kremlin to say a fact. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. Like some of some of the the more some of the more obvious examples were around like uh you know Russian speaking minorities in the Donbass being like treated badly, being treated as disinformation. Like that was very widely reported at the time like you can you know quibble over how you define minorities or whatever but there's plenty of pretty solid reporting on how the uh you know post-maidan government treated eastern european eastern ukrainians over that period and it's not it's not great you know um all that you know most corrupt government in the in the eu reporting that the guardian like did reasonably well it was it was plenty of that stuff so it's yeah i mean it's it's more complicated i thought charlie mitchell's piece and stuff this morning was like reasonably good in terms of talking about like these aren't accuracy changes these are framing changes but as soon as you're having that conversation you have to have the conversation about what's Reuters framing like we're not starting from a zero right we're starting from hundreds of years of contextual development of language and like who who believes what is is part of the framing of what you otherwise just write exactly which like that's the only honest way to have it is is what's frustrated me like you can't start from a zero we we've already started from zero in terms of the you know the propaganda conversation based on you know 2020 uh russia invading ukraine is like ground zero for opinions you know and now we have to start again with oh this guy's you know changing copy the greatest of all sins for a sub editor. You know? well, and look, we know uh, where the New York Times's editorial position is in terms of its lead sentence writing and use of the passive voice on Israel Palestine, right? So that just makes them incredibly slanted in favor of American and Israeli policy in that space. So we know that. And that's the sort of uh, we can sort of correct against that or measure against that. And 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 again, that is your most establishment standing for truth in the age of post-truth all that so like let's be grown-ups here of course war is where journalism you know feels i mean this journalists lose their mind in war right careers are made in war put on a heart you know put on the sort of helmet in bed and in and this is also sort of like 
part of the hollowness of contemporary uh, liberalism in in dealing with, yes, the rise of authoritarians and populists and all that sort of political discontent is a sense that they have no answers for it, that sort of just invoking normative consensus values is not enough to keep everything in line because of material conditions, because of geopolitics, all that kind of stuff. So now we have a cause, right? Ukraine is this cause, this mission. Part of, I think, the strategic importance of New Zealand as part of whatever the NATO Western Alliance is sort of like, we're Jacinda Nation, we're like the good liberal bastion or some such thing. And so lending our whatever, je ne sais quoi, temp our fair temperament to this cause is like, you know, that that is something that we are giving, right? It's not about arms as such, but that sort of diplomatic support is important. So our media class, our people anxious about, yeah, the rise of anti-vax and populism and all that kind of stuff, we've got to We've got a cause and people, the real sickening part, the real sort of World War One part of this for me is just how much people are into the vicarious thrill of Ukrainians sacrificing for the birth of their nation or any of that. And I, like it's it's horrible. Like this is a this is a horrible war that should not have happened that frankly, and this is my sort of whatever, whatever you want to call, throw the epithets my way, a war that was allowed to happen through diplomatic uh, how to put this? This this war could have been prevented. It wasn't. And that's a massive tragedy. And that is the lens that starts before 2022 that is worth discussing that then should also be informing, you know, a conversation of uh, not just sending in weapons and F-16s, but like, OK, how does this conflict end? How does the most significant conflict in Europe, right, since World War II, come to some sort of stable end. And of course, as far as America sees it, there's a sort of like, yeah, there there are benefits to just seeding the chaos and just keep, you know. So that's the kind of grown up conversation around, uh, sorry, I hate to sound grown up because it makes me sound that makes me sound like a liberal when I say words like that, but that's the kind of thing that uh, um, uh, a diverse media, yeah, yeah, a, a diverse media could deal with. And I mean, look, Again, just we, we've seen this just this week with Nord Stream, right? So a thing that was not allowed to be continenced, right? That America, Ukraine, some combination of American intelligence and its allies would perpetuate one of the great environmental infrastructural acts of war in God knows how long. You couldn't say that that wasn't Russia, right? Like that would be to utter something in, you were having Putin thoughts and Putin images were inserted in your brain. Now we know, right? And it's it's all through, you know, dissident Seymour, maybe Seymour Hirsch, veteran experienced journalist. Maybe he didn't have the story right, but that story reported the need for the official narrative to change and other leaks to happen. And, and so now we're in a totally different space. So we should be much more open to uh, allowing, uh, yes, different types of framing of this issue, independent of whether it helps the Kremlin or not. I mean, framing is a hard issue, right? Like, I think it's fine to admit that um, minor minor issues can completely change the way that people read articles. And like, we've been talking about this since we started this podcast is that like, you know, you can you can bury the lead in an article. Yeah. You can you can change the way that people interpret things that are like just the facts, man style, <laughs> like reporting, gray lady ass bullshit, or, you know, Granny Herald, pick your, pick your like metaphor. Um, but like I think it's it's useful to have that conversation. It's just very unlikely that that's what this is going to turn into. Even though this is such a perfect example, like this this should be the most delicious fodder for like media analysis, and it hasn't been treated that way at all. It's been treated as like a rogue agent instead of like the perfect example of all the issues that we've been talking about for years, like coming to fruition from as you were saying before, Olivier, like the kind of dearth and in investment that this could happen for years at a time, like you know, stepping back from the accuracy or not of claims or like the appropriate or not of framing, like if an entire news agency isn't happy with how, one of the ways that their editors is like changing international news stories, that is that is a big deal for, for them. And to not having not have read that copy, presumably for years at a time, it's like, what have you been doing for that period? You know, from from that perfectly like materialist side to the more like idealist understanding of like what is 
the way that we should have these perspectives like all of that stuff is being impacted and that's not the way it's being discussed at all right it's it's so poor. and that's why i consider this to be a, a beat up it's it's it, as far as i'm concerned like they absolutely people had read these like they, they don't have zero process i know they're, they're chronically underfunded but there's at least some of these would have been passed over by a sub editor and and checked before going in. There would have been some level of review, and it would have been okay up until the point it became political, and that's it. That is all there is to this. I have a question uh, for y'all, as uh, perhaps more prodigious consumers of New Zealand media. I always think of the people that they send over to be American correspondents or London correspondents as some of the biggest goofies we have in this biz, right? Like Tim Wilson or you remember when uh, Duncan Garner went on a trip to the White House and Bush said, hey, I like your suit. And then he did a whole story of where he gets his suits in Wellington. So like, um, I mean, look, John Stevenson's great. I know we've had a lot of good people go and work in Al Jazeera. Um, I know we have great New Zealand journalists out there, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on the name of a guy that I've had a really nice uh, correspondence with who's worked for the LA Times, Le Monde Diplomatique, you know, but that sort of, uh, the worldly Kiwis that are traveling, um, they're not publishing for 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 our, our media. So are there some like good international heads that I've, I've missed? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Not that um, I can think. I mean, so, the ones, yeah, you're right. The ones who are good don't uh, okay. do not do international work for our media. They go and work for Al Jazeera or they have, they work for like independent or foreign journalism. Like this is something I've been thinking about more recently is like how much, how much richer would our perspective on foreign affairs be in New Zealand if we had a higher percentage of people who spoke more than one language in this country? Because let's be honest, when we're talking about Ukraine news, we're not talking about Ukraine news. We're talking about British and American news which is, you know, through a certain channel of information, you know, the the homogeny filters through, right? Like if if 70% of New Zealand spoke multiple languages, would that change the way that we consume foreign information? And like, just to drop the, the Josephine point here, like most of the world doesn't view the same way as us, the, the world the same way as us, right? They have their own perspectives on this stuff. And there's a reason that like a tiny, tiny minority of Africa is on board with the Anglophone kind of perspective on what's happening in Ukraine. Like that's not a conspiracy. Yeah. That's an I mean, observation of people having different perspectives and priorities. I can guarantee that as someone who is, who, whose views on this are regularly attacked for, for being pro Putin or, or whatever, or for not um, supporting Ukraine. Uh, I can guarantee that I, follow far like significantly more ukrainian news sources and talk to significantly more ukrainians uh than anyone uh who is uh who is doing that in the new zealand context bro you this this hurts phil because uh like i'm on the same floor as the languages at otago right i'm old enough to remember when we had a russian program okay can you imagine, imagine thinking that Russian would be a useful skill set, right? So I remember when they cut Russian, we're cutting German. So yeah, this is obscene. Also, Tim Wilson, you know, he's like a big Rod Dreher head. No, that's wild. I never would have guessed that. To yeah, be Tim Wilson, man. He's, oof. yeah. No, and actually, uh, shout out to Anna Burns Francis. I know she's done some international stuff and she helped a student of mine work on a story uh, about a scammer because she'd covered it on Fair Go, and I didn't know Fair Go was still a thing. Anyway, whatever. So I, I shout out Anna Burns Francis, but um, I don't know. To your point, I, yeah, uh, it's the big OE. Go, go to London. Go work in media that way. Like it's, it's a symptom of our whatever our larger kind of brain drain. And yeah, that well, makes let's move the conversation on. And really. but uh, I guess we can keep it in the, the framing space somewhat um, because it. Yeah, I'd love to see this applied, as I said, to to much more of the reporting that happens here. Uh, one of the biggest problems uh, in the political space is that our media often seeds framing directly to political PR um, by publishing the headline. And and I want to I want to be very very clear that numerous uh, journalists and people in media have thrown the book at me for suggesting that running a headline of political PR 
as a bad move. Um, and yet we've, in this last week, we've suddenly had all this conversation around, oh, actually it does uh, create, uh, uh, it does change the way that people read the story. Yeah, no shit. Uh, so when, for example, uh, you publish a headline from David Seymour uh, comparing uh, the tangi in Opotoki to um, a war zone um, in Somalia, there might be a problem with that. And when you do that Probably. for every fucking PR line that comes out of the ACT Party, you are creating a series of framings that are significantly affecting political debate in this country. Let's have a discussion about that. Uh, let's have a discussion about the way you do that for crime. Because no, I, I don't care like about the the argument uh, between, oh, look, our crime is down um, on on these particular graphs. Oh, but look, people feel like crime is up. So are you gaslighting them? Like, no one gives a shit. Who is creating the sense among the public that uh, they're in danger all the time from criminals when the crime is down? Like, th this is not a... This is not something that doesn't... That just happens by itself. You can't complain that uh, the public is not informed enough, and nor can you complain that um, the the politicians have it wrong or the activists have it wrong around crime without interrogating what in the system is creating the space in the first place. You know, what's wild to me is like so. Um, we're just currently campaigning down here at Otago because whatever church education, the bottom is falling out, et cetera, et cetera. And it's and it is really interesting uh, when the media is on your side, when they're not on your side, when these things swing. But they are moths to a flame conflict. Right. Conflict is just so hardwired to be seen as a source of news um, that, again, even if they're not uh you know so so just framing conflict when something and 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 acting as if they are not supplying i hate to use the modern parlance but that they're that they're not platforming seymour's awful sort of stretching of the discourse into these horrible culture war zones um but well look if there's a conflict i'm just covering it and and that's that that's my job i wash my hands of it what's so interesting of course is that you know, we talk so much in the sort of current uh, media civic crisis of disinformation is is just this notion that antagonism is so so in polarization and all these. I mean, it's like, again, this is, you know, as simple as our sort of, you know, as our media ecosystem wanting it back. Uh, yeah, that's literally how we've trained the culture around what is newsworthy, what is sort of worthy of leveraging other people's attention into selling media products or your own platform right is conflict so again i mean there's a continuum obviously um but it is really hard to get journalists to admit the same way is really hard for pollsters to admit that they're manufacturing consent duh sorry to use the old but like because the very framing or stepping in and putting your 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 whatever let's just say your uh your little newsboy cloth cap on to say ah this is the zone of news that i'm going to analyze right you're manufacturing a, a consensus around where this event of great social import is happening and where the parameters are but they don't want to again journalism is above the fray it's simply responding to news as if it exists before ever having been you know come across a news desk um, and that's the, but that's a linchpin of the of the discipline of you you can't get them to acknowledge that without acknowledging other parts that are core to their sense of like positivist science and and their whole profession. So it's 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 uh, it's it's a losing battle, I guess. Sorry. And it's continually causing problems in the way that uh, politicians respond to these issues as well, because you get this kind of this public sense of a thing being a problem. And then suddenly every politician's 
being screened at about what are they going to do for these problems. And suddenly it's a law and order election, right? And uh, alongside this, you have, you know, these lines being run out as headlines, the, the stories being framed continuously from a a pretty radical right-wing, um, increasingly authoritarian worldview, uh, which is where ACT seems to be going. Um, and then the media refuses to cover the way he's talking about or, or implying that people are subhuman. Like, these kinds of narratives, this kind of language uh, being tied to and associated with policy uh, that would, one, um, increase state powers um, in, in a very authoritarian fashion around, like, you know, police powers to do warrantless search or, or whatever, um, alongside constant calls for the last three to six years, the last two terms, uh, to abolish uh, human rights advocates um, and institutions should be ringing all kinds of alarm bells for our media, regardless of the framing. Uh, and yet every utterance seems to be treated in isolation uh, only as a, a news story um, devoid of any connection to what the outcomes of that might be. And if this does get to the point where our media has normalized this language by headlining it, um, by allowing it to be framed by the radical right alongside some of these almost hagiographic, uh, I don't even know what to call them, uh, investigations of David Seymour, the man, um, and uh, the increasing popularity of his party and the the electoral success. Okay, yeah, these these things are true. There is electoral success. You don't need to have a sit down and do a whiskey with him um, and and celebrate that. If if these ideas are normalized to the extent that actor seen to quote uh, another senior gallery journal journalist um, as a serious option to vote for. And we end up with a significantly act-leaning party in, in power, um, you know, national, a, a hollow shell at the moment. They're, they're going to be taking a lot of act policy on board should they get into government. What are these... What are these people in the media I mean, this going is, to do? Yeah, this is why, like, surprisingly, I agree with everything you just said, which I think is a first for a conversation about ACT. Um, because, <laughs> yeah, this is this is sort of mask off. This is what I've been trying to kind of imply by my, like, David Seymour's the greatest politician of this of this era mask that I've been wearing for the last few years, is that, like, he's done an insanely good job, right? He's seen the way that the weapons have been laid out uh, by the mainstream media and like the organized establishments and different institutions. And he's picked up the right weapons at the right times. And that doesn't, you know, that doesn't have to look like what those institutional actors thought it would look like. And it didn't at all. Like he was still being written off for his first three years while he was like gaining ground, not electorally, but uh, figuring out how to, how to operate in this way. And then there was the kind of uh, what people thought would be the turn towards liberalism, but it wasn't because it wasn't expedient, right? It didn't matter at the end of the day as a as a weapon and a vehicle for the far right, which is, you know, liberalism can be a, a vehicle for the far right. That should be part of this of this lesson, right? Is that, you know, capital L liberalism, whatever that that means to the the neoclassical freaks, like that's what this can look like. It's not an ideological project in the way that we might think of outcomes. It's a, a procedural and a performative piece that, like, David Seymour's a politician. He's not, like, uh, he's not an ideologue. He's he's going to bring through whatever vehicle works, and he's found a vehicle and, like, an unlikely alliance at the right time and kept it together really effectively. And I think there's a lot of lessons, both, like, you know, things that we need to be paying attention to because they're so dangerous and so effective, and also things that we could take up, like... Can you imagine fucking five years ago that he never would have been spoken about in these kind of revered terms by establishment media sources, but now, you know, you can, you can normalize people to things by spending time around them. It's as basic kind of psychological stuff as that. And 
enough lunches and dinners with gallery journalists and suddenly you're the quote unquote serious option, right? It's terrifying. And it just shows that it's not about the policy because if anything, his policy is more scary than it was five years ago. It's more like, as you're saying, Kyle, like authoritarian. It's like harder on poor people. It's harder on brown people. Uh, Tangata Whenua is being absolutely like run through with this shit. It's awful, awful, awful stuff. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to the like establishment, right? That's that's not what they're there for. They're there to like corral a created kind of middle ground aesthetic. And it essentially doesn't matter what the outcome of that is once you normalize them to it. That's the kind of lesson that I think we need to be taking from their success, right? That, that's why he's oh. such an effective political operator. And as you're saying, Absolutely. He, he throws out a new like PR every day. There's a new press release, like exposition on X, exposition on Y. And media don't have the funding, the resourcing, as Olivia was saying before, the, our public institutions are not ready for this. It's an onslaught, right? I, I see, this is where I, I have some problems with that justification. Cause I, I feel like a lot of it's post hoc, um, especially when it's coming from journalists themselves. Um, this is, this is what they often say. Oh yeah, but he does such a good job of like, um, you know, just shaking our hands and, and having a coffee with us. And he's always available for comment. Okay. And uh, like that, that that's <laughs> incredible to me. Yeah. I know you're under-resourced. Yeah. I look, I, I know like, great. He's a really friendly guy to you in person, man. I love being used as well. Jeez, I'm going to know who that else, up. But you know? that, like, that is a similar, like, you're right. That's not justification, but. Like, if you know that this yeah, is what is happening, yeah. why are you not putting a fucking wall in between it? Like, why? why are because you he's polling like, well. So it's like, hey, it's cyclical, right? So like, if if he was. He, not, he hasn't been polling well the entire no, time. No, no, but if he, was, if he was polling 0.5% still, uh, and he was releasing the uh, the volume that he did today. He wouldn't he wouldn't be treated as seriously as he is now. But he's he's sure. created that momentum, is what I'm saying, right? Like he saw the battlefield as it was, operated within it, and created yeah. a sense of momentum that couldn't be stopped. That's what's so terrifying about it. Well, and look, I mean, couldn't be stopped again. It, that's normative, right? Uh, like, I'm not. They, the sure, I'm not, just I'm say, not like, giving this is a good this a problem now. We should just stop uh, the power this. of uh, self control. Okay. I'm assuming that these people. Are operate in the kind of interest that they had been operating for for the last like 10 years yeah like you can't you well i guess what i'm saying is like if you're in the media and that is your justification for running his stuff verbatim and for calling him a serious option and for sitting down with him and normalizing horrific shit um because this stuff is to, to the right of the republican party in some in some cases like i, I want to be very clear about that and this is stuff that a lot some some very specific liberal journalists or reporters um who who are normalizing David Seymour and act right now would go wild about if the Republican Party was doing and have like um in regards to like attacking Trump and, and whatever. Why what is this weird backwards New Zealand exactly. exceptionalism? Why is it okay here? Oh it couldn't happen here. It couldn't happen here. Oh no no he's just a, he's just some guy. He's just doing it for the for the rhetoric. Um, he's just uh, trying to capture X, Y, Z conspiracy base. Um, it's it's all just game theory. No, it's I mean, we had this. Not. We had, like, where do you think we, this ends up? We where had this conversation with up? Bronco uh, when he wrote his book about Biden, you know, pointing out very accurately Biden's right-wing uh, rhetoric and results and activity for decades. And then when Jacinda ran on a platform, he was like, in many respects, Biden is to the left of Jacinda. And people couldn't take that, right? Because it's not about uh actual kind of material results it's the, it's the aesthetic that's being put forward right um and in the same way yeah like act has kind of liberal trappings in that like david seymour and brooke van velden are the kind of the epsom types right the genteel and they have coffees with journalists are we like to so i always like to think of our forms of reaction is um we love to be cornered we don't like to be, when I say we, okay, New Zealand, we don't like to be out front owning our deep reaction, um, but we like to feel a sense of being slighted and aggrieved and and come out punching that way. Um, and I wonder if that's now also uh, a hindrance upon whatever the resistance to this uh, right-wing lurch. Like, I don't know who the champions of, you know, like how to put this, how to articulate the seriousness of this threat, like that have any sort of public 
intellectual profile that speak for a kind of consensus that this would be. So I don't know. Like, I feel like the degradation of our media space lacking really strong sort of, uh, yeah, public voices that are not just sort of the centrist labor Pagani blob or whatever it is. Like, like I don't know, like, where is the rhetoric that's impassioned, that's more than just, you know, whatever, emphasizing kindness or we're, or this is not us. Like, you know, I, I just don't feel like there are great pugilists that are represented are not on our side. And so it just does feel like, yeah, this just sort of gentle lurch into something obviously fucking terrible. And that's Olivier's little New Zealand politics minute, which is just a little bit of a, a little light touch. No, I, I appreciate <laughs> no, you're totally right. seeing Phil and no, you're, Kyle to you're totally right. Um, I think, I think that is a, a big, a big lack that we have in New Zealand on the left at the moment is, is like pugilists like that. Like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I think it was clearer who those people were. Um, and, it doesn't mean that we don't have that people, but the, the clarity of who those people are to go back to the kind of hollowed out media and civic space is the problem, right? Because if, you know, one, three Herald journalists don't have someone on speed dial, they're not going to speak to them. They're going to speak to Hooten. They're going to speak to Edwards. They're going to speak to their five guys, right? That's all you have. We still, we still speak about St. Bruce <laughs> Jessen as like our touch. Yeah, we, yeah. we do though, right? On the left, yeah. it's like nothing's existed yeah, since Bruce Jessen. Yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. No, exactly. And it's been that yeah. gap for a long time. Well, I did just quickly uh, to tie things off. Um, you know, we're talking about framing and uh, and the way that I guess the right has, has just managed to, to get these narratives set in stone um, in our media. But one party actually released policy um, on the weekend uh, that wasn't uh, based entirely on PR uh, and and rhetoric, um, and getting particular headlines um, published verbatim, um, and that was the Green Party on uh, the weekend gone uh, released a, a tax and inequality policy, essentially that beat out both Act and Nationals tax cuts um, at their own game, uh, and got covered for two or three stories. Uh, and then that's it. I mean, well, well done to the Greens. I, I think they, I think they did everything right on this. Um, I think they got the framing really done really well. I think um, they had good comms around it for once. Uh, they had uh, managed to get some good media spots on it, uh, and it it doesn't it hasn't mattered uh, in term at least in terms of. Uh, media coverage like this is one of the biggest shifts in uh left left of center policy uh of the last 30 or 40 years um as far as what's being proposed uh it is better for more new zealanders um on a tax setting than anything offered by other uh parliamentary parties at this point and, you know, we talked about it uh, last week uh, with Stephanie. Um, how, how does the left get cut through? Uh, if they're doing everything presumably correctly. Um, I, look, I imagine they're trying to have copies with journos as well. I imagine they're doing some of that stuff. Uh, but the entire week has been dominated by National and ACT outright lying about this um tangi and opotaki you know they, it, it's a very frustrating to watch what, what was your take on on uh that policy though philip i thought it was good to be honest i was pretty impressed um it takes a lot to impress me from the, the greens these days but i thought they did a good job um they it's obviously a kind of retread of their policy from last election that was similarly like a income guarantees coupled with a wealth tax kind of switch thing. Um, but I thought this one was more professional. Uh, the main differences is they've kind of cleaned up some of the gaps that were pointed out last election uh, and the thresholds higher. So, you know, $2 million as a wealth tax threshold is pretty generous. It's, it's pretty soft. It's good kind of, you know, social democratic fair. Like that's what you would do if you were a, a, an actual labor party, for example, 
um, tax capital, uh, give tax cuts to labor, 125k as uh, an income to below which you would get a tax cut is pretty bloody generous. Like that is pushing it, <laughs> as any anyone on the left would would tell you. You know that is real. Less than one percent of people are above that. So it's you know 99% even. Uh, we are we are the the 99.3% maybe is the new Greens <laughs> attack line. But yeah, I thought it was good. I thought they you know performed it really well, sold it well. I don't want to get into too many specifics because uh, it's only going to be relevant as other parties announce their shit. Like they're the first people to announce their actual uh, tax settings policy. So as uh, national announcement policies, act announcement policies, labor announcement policies, then it'll actually be more relevant, right? The the rubber's going to hit the road when Chris Hipkins inevitably says, uh, no wealth taxes on my watch. Like how do uh, James and Marama and Chloe respond to that that's going to be the actual question and the correct answer as i always say is he can rule out anything he wants we'll see what the numbers say on election day like you can say whatever you want buddy but it doesn't matter that's not how maths works yeah and i think that's you know this has been one of the major um concerns i guess or um no i think that's the right word around people on on the left or in progressive spaces and you know even a lot of people um in labor who are like, yeah, this is fantastic. This is like, this would be a really good policy. I agree with the way that this frames up inequality um, and seeks to tackle that. How are the Greens going to make it happen? And, and I think that's really, the, I'm really glad that this policy has come out early and, you know, we're starting to talk about it now so that it, it gets into the public consciousness. There's got a lot of time to work with it. Um, I think they've understood their their struggles with getting that cut through um so they've got a, a long lead in for this uh during which they can start to show they might have some of that bite uh that people feel the greens have been missing uh but yeah it's gonna it's gonna be how willing are they to play hardball with labor um and how willing are they to and more importantly show the electorate they'll they, they'll do that uh because that's what's going to come down to is how how are they going to generate votes out of this? Um, because without those votes, they don't have the the leverage to to push Labour, regardless. I um I hope to meet uh, Marama and James. Uh, I've I've been told no one calls him Jimmy, but uh, give it a shot. I don't know. Maybe people maybe I can start. People do. He doesn't respond to it, but they call him that. He doesn't like Jimmy. All right. Well, I really look forward to hopefully meeting Marama and James next weekend uh, as part of Francisco Hernandez's uh, Dunedin campaign launch. Uh, TBC, there should be a little save tertiary event uh, there as well. And I'll definitely shout them out on policies that would go a long way in helping save tertiary. But I've got to try to figure out my maybe you guys can give me some advice because I'm going to be like, this government has not lived up to its promise. And like they're in the room. Right. So how does that work? You know, like this government, this, this government that I'm like, all oh, right, I guess you're this government. I mean, I'm oh, no, they're not part of the government. So it's a line, mate. They're not part of the government. So it's OK. Um, <laughs> Just so. All right. All right. Well, that's what I will. I will. Keep, I will I will keep work workshopping and it's great that as you guys say that uh the policy is out first and that this is like oh right we have the right to dream here and we we have the right to like uh hey look you know what i mean look i'm i'm different but if i earn more than 125 like i would be embarrassed to admit in the public space like i i mean look that must be my french upbringing i don't know what that is but and that honestly that's the proper that's the proper instinct like you should be embarrassed to admit that you're not like the rest of us and that you're in this space and you should feel a sense of privilege and all that stuff. But it does seem like in terms of, if we think about how politics is made, politics is made by, uh, well, maybe not the Leninist party, but like the really engaged vanguard of, of activists and people that are willing to put in the time and effort. And that can, that can change a lot. Uh, there's a lot of our sort of macroeconomic ses settings that treasury, and the bond market and all that bullshit. Uh, but this keeps, you know, the hopes of a fairer New Zealand at least alive and on the agenda. And that's such important work and um, and how that gets negotiated in any um, uh, coalition of crazies, whatever, I don't know. But uh, it's, it's great policy and I salute them for it. All right, and I think that's a great place to finish. Uh, that's been another week of One to 200. Thanks for joining us today, Olivier. 
Thank you. And no shout out to my man, Sufjan Master Stevens at MDL1ST for finding the Brooke Van Hitler quotes. And shout out to Pat Brittenton of Big Harry News who discussed this quote alongside our friend Aaron Hawkins as well. So uh, 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 my mans, Sufjan, you came through. So I appreciate that. Fantastic. We're not editing that out now. Um, it gets to stay yeah. in because we have a source. That's, our, that's our, how you our, do journalism, folks. Because You've our fact-checking is more uh, more careful and erudite than uh, the Herald. Or you just saw it happen live. Well, <laughs> yeah, essentially. All right, that's been another week. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, give it a share around. Um, have discussions with people. Just talk to people, man. Like, this is what I've been saying as well. Uh, you can do only so much on social media. Uh, if you're on the left, you need to get out there. Um, you need to organize. Get involved with campaigns. Don't have to be with a political party. Just go and have a chat with your friends. Like, don't don't get weird about it. Um, but, yeah, just just have some some food and and have a, have a good time. Um, and talk about media framing. Um, we've got the Patreon link in the uh, description as well if you want to throw us a few dollars uh, to keep us running. We might have a few um, midweek podcasts coming up in the next couple of weeks, so keep an eye out for those as well. We've got some great guests on the agenda, and we'll catch you for our next current events on well, in a week. See you later. If artifices are then I'm living a pointless life, but I'm learning all your lessons. Fucking your politics is no distinction. The words are now. It's paid with good intentions. And I'll admit that I'm at a loss for what to say when they criticize the cost we ought to stay. Cause I live amongst the people every day. Forgetful fucking rain It feels like we're on the road to hell